Hello and welcome to Financial Gain, our first ever podcast looking at today, we're looking at the debunking the myths around estate planning. Is My name is Daryl Hine and with me I've got Jonathan Gain, CEO of Stellar Asset Management. Jonathan, tell us a little bit about your interest in estate planning. Hi Daryl. Um... That's a, that's a good opening question, isn't it? I mean, I've been in the uh, tax-efficient industry for financial services for what is now 30 years. And I suppose when we come to think about estate planning, it means a lot of different things to different people. But I think where we think about it at Stella is that estate planning for us is working with fellow professionals be they financial advisors, be they tax accountants, tax advisors, wealth managers, and how we work openly, collaboratively, collectively uh, for the maximum gain of the individual or the family to enable them to maximise the wealth that can be passed on to future generations. And I think part of estate planning is to do that in the most efficient and effective means given the circumstances of the of the family and from our perspective we like to think we bring expertise in how those families can mitigate uh, inheritance tax in particular so that their maximum legacy can be passed on to those to those future generations it sounds quite a complex area uh, in terms of estate planning and um, obviously, if, if you're dealing with professionals a lot of the time who understand the whole industry and what's involved, how do you think that Joe Public actually understand uh, what estate planning is and whether it's relevant to them? Is it not just something really relevant to the, the really ultra-wealthy? Yeah, no, I, think that's a, I think that's a really good point. I think as we've, as we've seen over the years... Um, Inheritance tax planning and, and tax efficient investing has changed quite dramatically. And I think once upon a time, you would think that there were there were two versions of people that, or two versions of a family that would think about inheritance tax. One would be that mindset: it's not for me. This is this is for the super wealthy, and the super wealthy would think about it and say, we would do a number of trust based planning arrangements to, to, to mitigate that particular tax liability. So over the years, with freezing or modest increases in the allowance that is available for inheritance tax where there is no tax to pay, that's currently £325,000 per, per individual, what we've seen is massive, massive increases in the number of families now liable to inheritance tax, the amount of inheritance tax paid has increased quite dramatically. We're now talking about a tax that generates about six billion a year for uh, HMRC and the government, and that's forecast to grow year after year after year because the mill rate bound, the amount that uh, families get no tax payable on is staying the same and asset prices, albeit we're in a bit of a 
or freezing or a little bit of a downturn at the moment, more and more estates, particularly driven by house prices, are becoming liable to inheritance tax. So more and more people are dragged into a tax net which they didn't think they were going to. So it's absolutely imperative now that all families who are thinking of making investments should be thinking about inheritance tax as a primary consideration from the start. This isn't about um, doing it as a deathbed planning arrangement and thinking what can we do as mother, father starts to fall poorly. This needs to be planned like anything in life. The earlier you start, the more efficient, the more effective it is, and the better outcome it's going to be for for the families involved. In terms of um, estate planning, you said it's it's really for all families to consider. Have we got any idea in terms of what proportion of adults uh, might be subject to inheritance tax in terms of the size of, of the population? Or is that something which is just unknown and therefore everybody needs to understand inheritance tax better to consider whether they're affected or not? I think the number specifically is unknown, but what you've got is, you know, in, in simple terms that anybody just needs to stop and think for not very long at all to reflect on whether their assets are over and above £325,000 per person. And I'm sure most people can do that mentally in about four seconds. So it's something that's capable of self-diagnosis. And I think with the, with the financial advisors that we see on a day-to-day -day basis, and the conversations just need to be opened up to say, whilst thinking about traditional routes of investing, you do need to be having one eye, if not one and a half eyes on the end, the end game, as it were. Because, you know, in my 30 years, once upon a time, people thought, they weren't going to die, so this was not a problem. This was somebody else's. This was somebody else's problem, and we still see that to a degree. But the education uh, available through financial services firms like ours and and the great industry of, of of financial advisors is helping educate families in in the things that they can do to to mitigate it. So the number is huge. Make no bones about it. The number. Of families currently, you know, even by the government's own estimations, expecting to be paying inheritance tax, it's just increasing year on year on year. So it's a it's a huge opportunity uh, to enable us all to work effectively with families who need help, guidance, support, and ultimately something to to help them mitigate and, and, and pass that wealth on to the future generations because. You know, we see we see every day difficulties in 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 ineffective wealth transfer. We've all seen the numbers probably over the last couple of years about the amount of wealth that is going to be be passed down. You and I, Darrell, for the last couple of years have worked on you know the story around the inheritance economy and just how much value is going to be be passing you know from the baby boomers to next generations over the next twenty. 20 or so years, you know, and this number's in the trillions. I mean, it's just a monumental sum. It is the greatest 
cascade of wealth that this world has and will ever see. And it's it's happening right now. Um, and we as a nation collectively have got to be eyes wide open to what we can do to affect that, you know, as efficiently uh, as possible. Absolutely. And I think certainly um, what you see in the news more of is in terms of families who are subject to inheritance tax and then having to sell off assets in order to pay those tax bills. And as you said earlier on, with a great transfer of wealth, um, as that moves forward, is that's going to increasingly give more of a challenge to families uh, if they haven't taken any steps to try and mitigate that tax liability. So what are the options for families now when they start to consider inheritance tax and what they can do to try and mitigate some of that? Has the market changed an awful lot over the, 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 the uh, Dickie Bird tells me some 30 years of experience that you might have in this, in this sector? So has, has it changed much over those years? It has, and, and you know it's changed as well, given your uh, experience in the uh, you know in the insurance market before before joining us at Stella, uh, and certainly once upon a time a traditional route of managing inheritance tax was just to go and insure it, um, and that has its place absolutely. Um, and as I said earlier, you know that was the route for how should we say you know a traditional less affluent family, not the super rich that we touched mm -hmm. on earlier. And so, you know, a wealthy family typically would do some trust-based planning. Um, and that would involve setting up some form of trust, being a discretionary trust uh, for the future generation, the founding trust, um, that looks to be placing certain assets into trust for the kids, the grandkids, um, to, to, to make that work. Um, and trusts have their place, absolutely. What, what we uh, recognise is that everything does have a place because it means different things to different people. Uh, we've got to respect the fact that there is plenty of choice out there, but what we want to help to do is to shine a light on how the market has evolved, how we can educate people on the alternatives that are designed to be complementary as, as opposed to an either-or choice. So it's about finding the right solution for the family from the toolkits of opportunities, if you like, that a family in conjunction with their advisor has available to them and making more people aware of those opportunities and those planning uh, angles that can help them mitigate passing that, that, that wealth on. So. You know, as you know, we we have been in uh, the inheritance tax market, you know, all of our life at Stella for the like since 2000 and 2007 when we set up. But prior to that, we were doing, uh, I was doing inheritance tax uh, mitigation using what is now known as business relief, formerly business property relief, um, since, since the mid 1990s. So we know that it's changed. Uh, the market. We know that there's plenty of opportunity, but it is about education and awareness and finding the right outcome uh, for, for, for each family. 
And you know, when we talk about when we talk about myths, you know, there's plenty of them out there, isn't there, in terms of what what can I do? What uh, you know, I can leave it. You know, it's the kids' problem. If I've been in the heritage tax line, I've got to we still see people that say I don't have to deal with it. I came into the world, you know, I didn't inherit anything. Uh, therefore, why should my kids inherit anything? You know, let it go. That's their problem. They'll sort it out when I'm when I'm gone. Yeah, and that's a perfectly fine solution. Uh, but you have the opportunity during your lifetime to to do something about it to make that as tax efficient as, as as possible. So it is one outcome. But if you want to uh, leave your money to to forty percent of it to the government, it's a it's it's a fine plan, uh, and that could be that could be quite expensive. So yeah, even on the government estimates of, of the inheritance tax forecast, um, you know they're getting higher year on year on year, and historically they've underestimated that that liability. So whatever's in the forecast is you know one thing; it's not the right number, and it's going to be larger and larger. Um, opportunity is massive. So increasingly it's becoming something which families really should be aware of but it does feel still it's quite a complex area with multiple choices in terms of the the approach that you can take whether that's insurance whether that's trust whether that's looking at business relief Um, and I'm wondering if if families do just shy away from it because of lack of education in this area lack of lack of understanding as to the impact it's going to have and what options they've realistically got is that if they've got a financial advisor i'm sure that the financial advisor would be touching on some of those topics but there's a lot of people out there who haven't got financial advisors and are probably still unaware of the real impact of uh, potential inheritance tax liability and like you said some people will take the attitude it's not my problem but increasingly i think people are more aware of of passing on their assets to their children and their extended family. Um, so what what would you say is the best approach for an individual just to start to unpack this a little bit? I think a lot of it boils down to 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 trust. Um, I think there is a there is a difficulty at times with families thinking about um, where can they go to get that advice? Is it going to be impartial? Do they understand my circumstances? Uh, do they understand the goals and objectives that I'm, that I'm trying to achieve? And therefore, opening up and being, um, you know, explicit in their desires, their motivations, talking to a professional like a financial advisor that. that deals with these types of situations on a daily basis is the starting point. And as a financial services industry, earning that trust and getting that trust from, from individuals is is highly important. And when you know collectively the market is is you know in the news for the misdeeds of you know financial services professionals, whatever walk of life that is, it does reduce that that trust you know an individual will have in in that industry whether that's an investment industry whether that's in an advice industry you know it, it, it doesn't really matter the british the debacle over british steel is is and their pension funds is 
is something that's regularly in the news, and a lot of people have, have you know, to all intents and purposes, been sold up and you know, forced down a road they shouldn't they shouldn't have gone down. Um, so when that manifests itself into the news, us as a collective in in, in financial services have got to work harder to 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 overcome people's and families' negative connotations that that these people are out there to line their own pockets, make decisions that are better for for us as professionals, rather than for them as the the families looking looking to do that. And I think that's a that's a big issue. That's a big issue that we've all got to that we've all got to overcome. But there are countless thousands upon thousands of truly excellent advisors out there. And as ever, it's the minority that that behave disreputably, disreputably that, that kind of get the get the press. What we don't see day in, day out is and we hear it day in, day out of successful stories of, you know, really positive outcomes, really happy families that are that are on the journey to, you know, financial freedom, not only for them, but for the future generation. So for me, it starts with trust. How do we work with financial advisors to earn that? What can we do to demonstrate that, to show that we are on their side? And I think we've spoken about this many, many times, haven't we, about how we see the the client, if you like, at the, at the heart of the hub of a, a bike wheel. And the spokes are those of us in financial services that think can have value and contribute to, you know, a client's estate planning needs. It's not a soulless activity. It needs financial advice. It's going to need some tax advice. If they're in a business, what can they do about shareholding? How does all that work? We're not the, we're not the people there. Tax advisors are needed. Um, sometimes solicitors are needed. So there's a host of professionals that, that contribute to giving clients the best possible outcome. We we see it as very much that collaborative approach um, to 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 enable to facilitate that. I think so. I think I think trust is absolutely critical. Anything to do with money, uh, trust is important, and particularly when you are looking to do something a little bit different from what you would normally do. Put the money in the bank or under your mattress or wherever you want to put it. Is that that you do need to build that trust? As you were talking there, I was wondering. In terms of out of family, whose responsibility is it to raise the topic of inheritance tax planning? Because if if I was in if I was retired and had a lump of money, I would probably see that as my responsibility to think about what's going on, but I might not. If it was my parents' money and I've got to start talking about what's going to happen with their money after they died, that's quite a tricky subject, I think. So whose responsibility is it to raise the topic and start thinking about what do we do with your money once you're gone? Wow. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's isn't it? I mean, I think yeah, we, we, we've touched on, again, this in, in the past when we've, when we've communicated. So it, it's a great taboo. It's a great taboo. We are, we are as a nation, incredibly ineffective about having conversations about money. And I think you know, that stems from we don't have to go back too far you know, beyond our, our parents' generation to think that they really left a legacy. 
So this is a relatively mm. new thing for the reasons that we touched on earlier, that leaving a legacy and having capital available to uh, give the future generations a positive start in a, in a difficult world is a new thing. So our parents wouldn't have spoken about it with their with their parents because broadly there was nothing to talk about. You know, it was it, there was nothing there to inherit. There was nothing, you know, relatively of of, of value. Indeed, at that time, is that talking about money full stop was a bit of a dirty subject, wasn't it? Is you, everyone kept their affairs to themselves and yeah. it just wasn't discussed. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, now you know we didn't know what our our, our parents earned. We didn't, you know, you wouldn't ask, you know, how much is the house worth? You know, how much do you earn? What do you think you're doing with it? You know, um, if it turned out to be a big number, shall I, you know, pop around with a bottle of pills and a, uh, and a packet of cigarettes and see how we get on? Um, all joking aside, um, you know, it's it's a really difficult one. I think it's kind of incumbent on both sides of the family, the potential uh, families or the parents who grew up with the assets, you know, and and, and the children within it to think and open up that, open up that conversations. And I think we've seen starts of that, you know, Moyes Bank did a, did a pretty decent effort of kind of raising awareness of mm. the taboo of that, that difficult subject uh, in, the la- in the last couple of years as we were all sitting at home at lockdown. Um, and that's the start of it, but it's got to, it's, it, it's got to keep going. Like, a, like anything to do with lockdown, it's, 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 it's not a fan, you know, we're not, we're not baking this morning banana bread anymore or buying bicycles but you know we need to keep talking about the state plan because it isn't going away do you think financial advisors are are talking to their clients about connecting the extended family with that siblings or whether that's um their children around the table talking about this this subject Yes, some are, but it, you know, back back to the point is everybody, and should should more people be doing it? Um, that's probably the probably the wider point. You know, it's a it's a difficult conversation, but once you've started it, you know, like kickstarting a podcast, once mm-hmm. you once you've started talking for five minutes, it becomes much easier. <laughs> um, but yeah, you you know, the first step in anything is the hardest, isn't it? So making that first engagement, getting it on the table. However, however that comes, whether that's from parents down or children's up or financial advisors as a as a qualified intermediary, anything that starts that process, because you know, for all parties involved, it's looking at a it's looking at a successful outcome. What you've got for or what we see or would expect to see for financial advisors is you know that trust being earned throughout the the family dynamic and the family network, so that you know, so that when um, you know, parents pass uh, and, and value passes that you know, that financial advisor has going to go and create that uh, relationship with the inheritors at a very difficult time. You know, getting ingratiated into the family at an earlier stage to be able to a you know participate in the dialogue and help effectively in the opportunities that that family has, but build the relationships with those that are going to inherit, and then you've created. You know, a valuable legacy for for, for their business, and um, by working with the future generations who 
you know, typically are going to be obviously working and earning and not necessarily needing the capital uh, that, that the, fam, the, the parents are going to leave behind. So you know, you've got a, a, a real opportunity to, to create value for the family with uh, efficient planning. You've got a, a value to the financial advisor to continue working efficiently and effectively with the inheriting family members. And you've got solutions, whether they be investment-based solutions or trust-based solutions, whatever they may be, you've got an effective financial services industry, you know, working collaboratively for, for the family best outcome. Absolutely. And, you know, even from a, an emotional point of view is uh, if the financial advisor's already got a relationship with the children and, you know, when the inevitable does happen is that it makes that process easier less complicated, no surprises in terms of the passing of that inheritance over. And you know, if we can avoid it going forty percent of it going to the tax man, then that's gotta be gotta be a good thing. Yes. In terms of what we do from from that point of view. Um we said earlier on that you've you've been in this space for some time and started Stella back in two thousand and seven uh, in terms of a, a new business. Going back to that time, what was your what was your main motivation at that point in terms of looking at, at starting an investment company in this particular space? I think a part of it was to build on the qualities that uh, that were inst- instilled into us as as part of a merchant bank. Um, um, where I worked for sort of fifteen years prior to setting up Stella. And I think the the key values that I like to think that we should be judged by and should be trusted by is around providing the, you know, as I say, a collaborative outcome, uh, an efficient outcome for clients. But that's based on the fact that we may um, we may operate, if you like, in services that aren't. Uh, listed funds like OICs or investment trusts, um, we're not of the size of those types of financial services firms that run run those funds. But what we can do is build on and offer the same qualities that a kind of listed environment, uh, fund investment environment operates under. And those things are around uh, transparency, particularly around fees and charges, making it clear that you know, we see a natural um, morphing of how investors should be treated, whether they come into unlisted investments like the ones that we offer or listed environments, that ultimately the outcome should be the same, is that fees should be fair, fees should be reasonable, fees should be uh, representative for the work done. and you know, in our unlisted world, we still see, unfortunately, lots of fees layered on for for reasons other than because you can and because that's been history. So we may be a little bit unique, pioneering, call it what you will, but we see a huge value of, of being fair in how we charge and it being reasonable for, for the work that we do. And I think that's a big pillar of, 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 of what we stand for. Um, and just being, you know, as open and transparent as we possibly can with 
with how we're performing. There are going to be times when um, things aren't going according to plan, and it's how you communicate and deal with those matters are are the things that like me think resonate with people more than trying to trying to sweep it under the sweep it under the carpet. You know, we you know we run ample failures and. 2022 was a very another difficult turbulent year for for the stock market, but we look to provide you know another one of our we think USPs is is diversification. So having a well diversified portfolio within your market is the number one risk mitigant that that an investor can look to benefit from and with an excellent team you know we we have suffered a loss which is which is massively disappointing um but we'll work hard to recover that but the positive is that it was nowhere near as bad as the whole aim market fell as a whole in fact it was it was just under half the fall of fall of the aim market and we think that is that is driven by those values that we behold, particularly around diversification, and you know, and having a clear, clear investment mandate. And clearly, that's hugely beneficial for those who've invested into those products. Can I just take you back to the whole inheritance tax um, options in terms of mitigation options? So we touched a little bit on insurance, which is a, a, a one way of mitigating it. Trusts um, is probably a more traditional way of more recently in terms of what's involved. Business relief, though, is it sounds a little bit more complicated. Do you want to just talk a little bit more about how business relief would work and, and why um, people should consider that as an option? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's legislation that's been around um, since 1976. Um, it was enacted as, as part of the Finance Act that year, and it was done to uh, basically uh, enable family businesses to be passed to the next generation without without a, a liability to inheritance tax. So if there was to be you know, a family uh, umbrella-making business uh, owned, by, owned by mother and father, and it represented you know, the, the majority of the value of their uh, estates, if you like. Um, so, what business relief set out to do was to say, well, if you, in simple terms, this family had ten pounds in the bank for a business that was worth a million pounds, they would be liable to inheritance tax. And you know, whatever the thresholds were back in 1976, you know, a huge liability therefore was 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 payable but they only have 10 quid in the bank so how are they going to pay you know a substantial you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of liability that arose from the value of their umbrella making business um, and businesses would have had to have been sold wound up liquidated to enable to release that value to enable to settle the inheritance tax liability so business relief came about so that those families that you know had set up business were creating um, economic value that had employees that had 
responsibilities for corporation tax, you know, VAT, whatever it might be, payroll taxes, you know, weren't forced to sell up just to settle inheritance tax bits, which relief came in so that it could pass on. That business did not have to stop to pay an inheritance tax, or they got relief so that it, a, it can carry on, it can carry on working, it can carry on creating economic value, which has got to be much better for the you know the economy and the government rather than winding it up and collecting a few quid now and destroying future value. So that's how business property relief came about broadly. Uh, you, know, you know, I'm not a tax advisor, so there are far more people that. Uh, are better qualified to go into the nuances of that, but as a flavour, that's how it came about. Obviously, not everyone has umbrella making businesses. Uh, they can make lots of things, um, but uh, it's 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 a way that you know, as as an industry has has again evolved. You know, as you touched on, um, it's evolved. It's evolved quite substantially, and you know, again, once upon a time, you know. Services that utilise business property relief were seen as deathbed planning, and the key advantage of of using business relief as part of your estate planning uh, mix, if you like, of opportunity, is that it can get that value out of the estate inside two years, which is obviously a lot quicker than trusts uh, and gifting, which, as we know, can take can take seven years to get out of the estate. So, you know, when I first started out, it was a it was a typical deathbed planning arrangement. So, right, you know, let's get it let's get it sorted into mm-hmm. business relief, um, and therefore services opportunities by the industry were were born out of right. This just needs to be a short term shelter. Um, anything is better than paying forty percent tax. So it's going to be a quick in and a quick out. We know that it's going to be needed by the next generation. So therefore, things like liquidity or ease of access to get in, get out become become important. What we've tried to do, you know, with our with one of our services is to say, well, yeah, that's fine for a certain part part of the audience, but you know, having it back into uh, somebody's estate on, on, on the parents passing isn't necessarily the right thing to do because you know for us we kind of we kind of inherit at the wrong time. Yeah. You know, we, we kind of inherit when we're probably close to or at the peak of our earnings power. Um, if we work on you know parents passing in their eighties and inheriting in in fifties and sixties, you know, is that the time when we when we wanted our capital because we've already, you know, Got the family, bought the house, etc., etc. That's that's not when we need it. So, to us, it's it's about passing it down effectively, rather than rather than having that easy easy in and out. It's just you just created a problem for for that next generation who, who you know, broadly don't need it. As it were. So it does become much more about a longer term strategy, a longer term approach, again, for the whole family, not just singularly for an individual, because as we said, they've already passed yeah. um, and thinking about how how you can move that money through the generations uh, and still shelter it from tax. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you know, one of the other you know myths that, that, that we hear is, you know, it's 
it's, it's time consuming for all of this. It's, mm. you know, it's a difficult subject, it's taken a lot of time. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm aware of the the opportunities that, that are out there. But to, you know, to that I can say, as we repeat earlier, you know, there are countless thousands of you know, really excellent financial advisors, tax advisors out there that can massively help them with that dilemma. And you know, these are not new questions. This you are you are not alone as a family in thinking about that subject. Um, you know, it's 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 massively googled as a as a subject that we know, you know, is a is a consideration. So what can you do? Uh, what can you do about it? Is is you've got to start that process and have a and have a chat with somebody, uh, particularly a financial advisor that knows exactly how to deal with it. And I guess, you know, there is that point around you can leave it till it's too late, is that, is, as you said already, is through traditional trust plan or gifting, there's a seven-year um, period of time, is even if you look at business relief, whether that period is reduced down to two years, of course, none of us know when our time's up. Okay. So, you you know, it, it might be fine thinking about you can leave it until you're in your 80s or 90s, but the reality is none of us know when that that clock is going to stop ticking um and and if you put it another way around almost like what's the downside of of dealing with this topic today whatever age you are absolutely absolutely there is there is absolutely no downside in, in, in talking about talking about it and being being open um within the family network as to how we can how we can solve this together because you know, it may be that you know the parents don't know who to turn to, but it may be that the you know, the children do. Um, you know, the network that we have developed throughout throughout our lives, you know, is one of the most valuable things that that us as individuals collect collect along the way. And it's that it's that who thing. You know, it's it's the fact that it's still not what you know. It's who you know. Nobody can know everything. And just like we're not claiming and professing to know everything, but knowing who to turn to, whether that's a financial advisor, whether that's a tax advisor or a solicitor, to be able to help is infinitely more valuable than, than saying I know I know all the answers. So it's getting that first conversation started is is is, is, is absolutely vital. It does it does feel that um probably there's there's huge swathes of people out there who are just putting it into the too difficult box in terms of either don't know or don't understand what's what's going on financial advisors play a, a key role in in helping educate uh, individuals as to what their options are and driving it forward and as we said already you know connecting with the extended family to bring that total awareness as to what's going on we might have covered this already, but just to help consolidate it is, what do you think the key reasons are as to why people are not dealing with it? Financial advisors perhaps are not getting to where they want to get with their clients on, on helping with the, the tax planning, inheritance tax planning, or individuals um, out there who might be aware of the fact there could be a, a tax liability on death, but again, are just pushing it out. Is it is it just time? Is it lack of education? Is it that it's it's not going to happen to me? 
Um, but it, it feels it feels in terms of everything we've said today is that it is a really important topic, which doesn't really have any downsides of dealing with. So why isn't everybody doing it? Mm, mm. It's a good question. And I think all of the things you've touched on are contributions to to that answer. But I think part of it, and this is where you know, we do have an awful lot of sympathy with with financial advisors, because the amount of paperwork that they you know are required to produce and evidence, client discussions and client engagement and recommendations and decision making, which you know, our regulator, you know, once available, uh, you know, for inspection, does create huge, a huge paper trail and a huge exercise in, in, in documenting, which, to a certain degree, is right in terms of obviously evidencing and recording decisions, but it also comes back to, to a trust thing as well. Uh, you know, families have got to know the financial advisor over many years and many meetings and many activities. You know, how can a how can a financial advisor be proactive if you know a certain proportion of the time is is spent paperwork filling that ultimately is needed to to evidence a particular decision? It becomes disproportionate to to solving the solving the problem at hand. So we kind of got to got to find a way, and we. We like to think that we're playing our small part in helping helping advisors where they can be more efficient and reducing the administration so that they can do what they they do best in talking to the families and, and, and getting on with it. So that certainly does play a part, I think, uh, in getting getting advisors more engaged with the public. Come back to trust is is a contributor as as well. And the families play a part as well by by awareness, the ostrich. You know, bury the head in the sand and hope it's somebody else's problem. You know, what are the family dynamics? Is there somebody else more literate in the more financially literate in the family that everybody thinks is going to come up with a magic wand and, and solve it without knowing all the facts of the family family situation? So they all play a part. You know, not for me to determine which one plays the greatest part. I just don't know. But all of those things in the mix make it make it harder and regulation isn't making anything easier for anybody and we're now as you know spending an awful lot of time preparing for and documenting things around this new new fca legislation and consumer duty um you know and that's another enormous set of activity which is not quite business prevention from a from an economic perspective, but it certainly is a massive distraction in terms of management time to to demonstrate and document what what needs to be done, and is it is it primarily the issue at issue at hand? Is it is it designed to catch out you know the 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 ne'er do wells that that operate in any industry, let alone financial services, and you know why can't you know, guidance or regulation being being focused on those it knows is doing the most damage. And I think that, you know, that doesn't help restore trust. There's a kind of massive uh, piece of work that everybody has to go through, whether you're whether you're a good 
financial services professional or, or, or a rescue financial services professional. Short answer is is that you know the good financial services professionals are going to comply because they're good financial services professionals because it's designed to to weed out aren't going to comply because they don't comply with anything in the first place. So what is the point of it? To some degree, it might be a, uh, a you know a consideration, but you know. We we have to do something, and of course we are doing something. We we need to make it easier, but we absolutely recognise it's collaborative. It's not a we are holier than thou, we are better than you. This is this is you know we need financial advisors, and financial advisors need us from time to time. We need to help them here to 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 all cooperate and work seamlessly with them across all walks of their life to make, as I say, the best outcome for clients and families. So throughout the uh, podcast so far, we've we've talked about uh, a number of myths, um, but I want to change the tempo slightly in terms of the of this podcast and have a almost like a quick fire round looking at debunking some of those myths. So some of them we've covered already, but if we can if we can just rattle through some of the questions which we quite often hear from either investors or or buyer advisors. So to kick off, Jonathan, just uh, get your immediate views on some of these comments, which we've, we've heard from time to time. And the first one is, I can't afford to put my money away. What if I need my money later? Good one. Um, what if I need the money later is a perennial uh, question that we're asked um, and make observations on. And I think that's where you're looking at all of the tools available to uh, for families to mitigate inheritance tax, which is where we come into you know, the use of insurance policies, the use of gifts, the use of trusts, and the use of investment relief, like business relief, all have different attributes and all contribute to effective estate planning. So there's no one right answer to any of these things, but thinking about uh, what if you need your money later is then about how do you engage and how do you balance the use of the tools that are available to you in the most efficient way that can can give you the capital that's needed at the, at, at the time you want it. So working with a financial advisor, a financial planner will debunk this myth straight away, but all the tools are there at at their disposal to help educate the, the the families in what they can do brilliant that sounds like there's options um next myth is oh isn't it too risky life is full of risk Daniel, isn't it? life is full of risk <laughs> coming into london this morning was full of risk but no i mean in all seriousness um you know, we're back to we're back to a couple of things for me you're back to you're back to trust in the financial advisor and the professionals that you're working with that you know is educated and aware of the opportunities that are on the market and then you're looking at what does risk mean is that investment risk um is that cash flow risk is that tax risk what is that is that family dynamic risk there's a whole there's a whole lot of things there but for us you know investment risk where we focus and we specialize investment risk to us Risk mitigant number one is that, you know, kind of number one principle to us and the value that we behold is around diversification. 
that's that's how you mitigate investment risk. And when we think about our services and how we do that, having having capital invested in different businesses which are in different cycles and getting the right, we think, right exposures and right weightings to those sectors is the way through this. Life is not without risk. It's how you manage it and how you work with your you know, financial advisor, financial planner to, to mitigate that. But again, plenty of options available. Comes down to options again, uh, which is which is uh, absolutely true and great. Um, I might have said this a few years ago in terms of uh, a potential myth, which is I'm too young and healthy uh, to get to worry about inheritance tax, so I'll get around to it later. Is that the right attitude? It is. If you've only got a five in your pocket, Daryl, but knowing <laughs> you, you've got a little bit more than that. Um, we come we come back to where we touched on earlier. You know, it's never too young. It's never too early to start. Starting it enables you to to give it greater consideration. You're not forced into last minute, uh, you know, decisions which can be rushed, made in a vacuum, not made with the, the, the right facts available. So it's not saying you specifically have to do anything right now. It's saying, are you cognizant of your situation, the goals that you have as an individual or as a family in terms of to continue earning, do you want to change your lifestyle? What's the plan? What are your, you know, uh, lifestyle and financial goals? The easier you, the, you know, the sooner you articulate those, and the sooner that you engage with a professional on what are your options and how you can manage it, the better the outcome will be. So it's not necessarily about estate planning per se. It's starting the journey of, you know. You've got a business plan for your for your career. Um, how does a financial plan overlay with that? And therefore, at some point, the conversation will naturally turn to your estate planning as you develop that financial plan to complement your lifestyle plan, your goals that you set yourself personally, the goals that you want to achieve as a family. And therefore, being aware of it makes it easier. And as I say, you're never too... It's never too young. It's never the wrong time. Get advice. Work with professionals. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I think it also plays into, you know, looking at that broader family approach to it as well, is that you can look at yourself individually and, and decide whether you want to look at estate planning or not. But if you broaden that perspective and look at the whole family, and the implications on others, then yeah, the interest the, the interesting part there is that it has a much wider implication because you've got that intergenerational wealth uh, throughout the family and how that's managed. I mean, another myth which I hear often is, well, why should I worry about it? I've got a spouse and she's going to inherit it anyway and get on with it. Um, but not, that's not necessarily the right approach. It's not even the fair approach um, and needs a little bit more consideration, would you say, John? Yeah, absolutely. Um, whether we, you know, whether we're in, um, you know, a, ta- a tax efficient position uh, at, at this particular moment of time, and we've got a and we've got a partner that that is clear on what what those objectives are um, and those those things that are facing. I think we can all probably agree that um, there's no guarantee that that situation is going to stay the same. So. Life is absolutely full of uncertainty, challenges, 
things that we can't foresee, you know, take COVID, take, uh, you know, the current economic situation that, that we're facing, the political instability that we've had uh, and are having, is that those are all factors that can muck up those kind of notions. So, yes, it's perfectly fine and say somebody else can within the family can deal with it, but does it take into account what we might call the sensitivity analysis or the what-if analysis of are you prepared, are you ready? It might be viable today, but, you know, there are going to be challenges along the way that could throw that plan or throw that notion straight out the window. So is it robust? Have you thought of everything? You know, you come back to we are more effective engaging with other people. And, and, and you know, I like this podcast, stimulating a conversation, stimulating a debate, because not one of us has the right answer. So they might think it's right today, but sure as eggs is eggs, it's going to be wrong tomorrow. I'm not saying tomorrow as in the next day, but at some point in the future, that plan is not going to be as effective as it once was. So being live to that is, is massively important. Absolutely. And, and as we know, um, particularly over the last two or three years, you know, we are in a continually changing environment, whether that's health, economy, uh, personal wealth, personal situations, is that it is a constant change. And if you ignore these things, be at your peril. Mm-hmm. A couple of other myths which come through is, and we've touched on these as, we, as we've discussed over the last uh, 45 minutes or so, is trust is the only way to invest uh, money. Or perhaps uh, I can give all my money away to avoid tax. Is that we've already said there are choices out there, and I think the the whole education piece around what the options are is is absolutely critical um, in here. So whether you're leaving your money to your spouse, your partner, your children, um, I think it all leads to the same thing, which is understanding what the situation is and being alert to what the options are, uh, so that you can make informed choices in terms of going forward. So I think we've, we've covered quite a lot, Jonathan, in the last uh, 45 minutes or so. And and if we were going to try and pull it together, clearly we've picked on a few themes as we've gone through and, and that inheritance tax planning is an important point. There are a number of myths out there which can easily be debunked in terms of the importance of it. But if you was, if you was going to consolidate this and say, look, here's the three takeaway themes that you would like uh, either financial advisors or individuals to consider when they think about the topic of inheritance tax planning, what what would they be? Wow. Um, come back to what we said right at the start, which is you know, estate planning will mean something slightly differently to absolutely everybody. Um, but probably it can, can get distilled into sort of three key things. Firstly, and probably the most important one is is getting that story and that conversation going with the whole the whole family. This is not about making making an, an executive decision in a vacuum. Yes, it can be done in a vacuum. Of course it can. But does that take into account the whole family, the family dynamic and and where, where the children are and their grandchildren may be in their life journey and their opportunity. So I think the first point is is having the whole family involved and engaged in that in that conversation um, and getting that um, professional 
uh, help to be able to facilitate that and um, get that conversation going. Um, secondly, it kind of falls into the natural evolution of that is that, you know, that conversation has got to be around all of the options uh, available, whether they be investment related options, insurance related options, gift related options, whatever they may be. Um, you know, that family's got to engage with that professional financial advisor, financial planner, who can help educate the family on what is available and how it fits in with their lifestyle, with their goals, with the family, with the family dynamics. So part of our role is to is to help with our specialist knowledge in our area and how that helps that group of uh, group of people formulate the best outcome for for the family. And I think last the last one, which I, we've probably touched on quite a few times, is that like anything, the first step is the hardest step. The sooner you take it, the sooner you know um, how hard that journey is going to be or how difficult that journey is going to be. So get on with it, make a start. Um, you'll probably find, like anything, it's much easier once you've started as opposed to thinking about how difficult uh, how difficult it may be. Starting a podcast was think difficult to think about it, but here we are towards the end of it, thinking we've done a reasonable job for episode number one. But uh, start it. It's a great... It, you feel better. Um, clarity comes as a result of engagement. Education comes as a result, intelligence comes as a result, raising awareness, raising standards, um, raising education levels in, in financial services is vital and will play a part in, in doing that. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Jonathan. Is uh, I think they're real, really three really important points there. Um, and I hope everyone takes something out of today's podcast. Uh, yeah, I can't believe we've got to the end of it. So that's uh, podcast number one in the can. Um, I've enjoyed it. It's been fun. It's been having uh, a really good conversation with you today, Jonathan. So I hope it's been good for you as well. Thank you, Dan. I've really, really enjoyed that. And um, yeah, welcome feedback. Um, and look forward to seeing you all on the next episode of Factual Game. Thank you very much.